Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. And I'm Chris. Hey, this is Adam. And we're here to give you our hot takes on the game that we just finished playing, Gaia Project. As always, I'm going to give a brief description of the game, and then we'll jump in with our thoughts. Gaia Project is a fairly complex game, so strap in for the description, and we'll get to the discussion shortly. In Gaia Project, you're going to be playing as one of 14 asymmetric alien races that are competing to become the most dominant civilization in the galaxy by terraforming and inhabiting planets, researching technology, and forming federations. You'll use credits and ore to build or upgrade structures, which will then unlock additional income or abilities with the cost to build, being linked to how hospitable that planet is to your specific civilization. Knowledge is spent to advance on a research track, which improves income or basic abilities or gives you immediate benefits. The fourth type of resource, called power, is managed by cycling that resource through your resource pool from level 3 up to level 1, where it can be spent for special bonus actions and then moves back down to level 3. Power is most commonly cycled up when opponents build or upgrade near one of your controlled planets. You can also remove power from your resource pool to form federations and to Gaia form some planets to make them inhabitable by your faction. Victory points are gained by meeting specific round or end game goals, by advancing to top tiers on the various research tracks, by forming federations, as well as with some additional special actions and technologies, and the player with the most points at the end of six rounds is the winner. Gaia Projects was designed by Jens Drogmuller and Helg Ostergetag and published by Z-Man Games. So let's jump into our discussion. Adam, let's start with you. Um, give, me, give me your takes on the mechanisms of the game. For Gaia Project, the mechanisms are super duper Euro-y, so, uh, but Euro-y in a nice, depthy, puzzly kind of way. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of trading resources a lot of resource management, and it's very, very puzzly and not a puzzle that is easily figured out, especially by me. <laughs> what do I think of these? <laughs> I don't know. I'll say, what do I think of these mechanisms? They're, there's, there's the map aspect. There's a player board aspect. So the map, it's it's kind of nice. There's a little bit of parasitic action where if a, somebody else builds a building close to one of your structures, you get a little benefit from that. And similarly, if you build one of, close to one of their structures, uh, they get a benefit. I don't know. Somebody else... Somebody else jump in, save me here. I don't know where, where to go with this. Chris, what do you got? Man, well, I, that that was, yeah, no, I, you're right. It, it is a Euro puzzly math, dudes on a map, space extravaganza, dude. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, if you want mechanisms, man, this game has got them. It's like everybody, you know, somebody said, let's take every mechanism we can think of and throw it into a game. And uh, and then you got Gaia Project. So, I mean, it, it actually, and I'm saying that kind of facetiously, but it, it's fun. I mean, it's a, it, it was kind of cool. The the mechanisms were neat, but man, they were complicated. I mean, to the point where by the end of the game, there's still things happening where I'm going, wait, hold on. I had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> and, and, and this is our first play. This is my first play of it. So I, I, I will cut it some slack for that, but I think I think it's a complicated game. You got to really be ready to, you know, like Tim said, you got to strap in for this one because you're going to be in it for a while. You know, I, I have I want to talk about some specific mechanisms, but you guys have just really focused on how complex it was, and I I have to agree because I, I played this game a handful of times. I really enjoyed it, and it was starting to feeling to feel fairly simple to me. Like not simple, but I was starting to feel like yeah, everything flows really easy. It's not it's not hard. I bet I could teach this really easily. And then I was trying to write up the recap, which you just got, you guys just listened to me speak for like 15 minutes to just explain a description of the game. And it, it's just when I was writing that up, I realized how complex it was to even explain what you're doing in the game. There's just a lot to it. And, and that I really didn't even scratch the surface on all the mechanisms and exactly how everything works together. Right. You could never play a game based on what I just explained. But I just wanted to give a little bit of a feel for, you know, where all the interlocking mechanisms happen and, and how it functions um, so yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I agree. It, it definitely, you know, it's a big game to kind of absorb in the first, the, the first couple playthroughs. Uh, absolutely. Any specifics you guys want to call out? Breaking it down a little bit more. There's your player board, which you manage, which buildings are going out into onto these different planets and potentially you're upgrading those buildings and bringing those buildings back on your planet. So it's kind of like, um, an eclipse mechanism where, or spirit Island where you, remove a building and it gives you the benefit underneath that building. Then you've got, uh, looks like six different tracks you can kind of climb up. And as you're climbing up those tracks, you get benefits and some in-game scoring as well. And then you have another board 
for end of round bonuses. So there's six different rounds the game progresses through as well. And each round, there's a little bonus for a different type of building or building on a green planet or a certain type of structure. So, and that's just, again, a few of the mechanisms and all those kind of tie together. Chris, any specifics you got? Well, maybe this is more about theming than it is about the actual mechanisms, but I sort of look at those as being, you know, part and parcel of each other, but it, it was fairly thin in the sense of the, you know, how the, the mechanisms tied in with the theme. So, yeah, I'm going to probably do a lot of comparisons tonight because this game, there's so much stuff going on that you can compare it to a lot of things, but terraforming Mars, which I, I think is the one that Tim had said it gets compared to most frequently, you know, for no, Oh, no, I, I, I don't. I think I was talking about a different game in that case. But go on, go on with your okay. thoughts. But I, I, I wouldn't compare these two, or I have not heard them. Oh, okay, well, good them. because if you had, you would have been wrong. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't get into 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 a depth. How, how do I put this? It, there's a lot of stuff happening, but it feels like from a combination of theming and mechanism aspect, it's happening at this very surface level. I mean, okay, you get an entire planet, you get to put one building on it. You know, it's as opposed to say terraforming Mars, where you know you have this, you know, one. You're, you're focusing on one planet, okay? Let's focus on one planet at a time, and you're you're doing a lot of stuff there, and and it really lets you dig into the 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 interaction, the aspect of you know what's happening on on Mars, uh, the terraforming, as opposed to 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 this game where it really kind of feels like it's happening at a very superficial kind of level. Now, I want to jump in here and uh, this is kind of a tangent i wouldn't i wasn't expecting to go this direction but i think you have to look at gaia project from a thematic perspective as a little bit more macro than terraforming mars terraforming mars each round is basically supposed to be a generation but in in gaia project for example and i mean this is i don't know if this is what the creators had in mind but the way i look at it is that you know, once per round, you can Gaia form a planet. You can, you know, put one of your Gaia formers on one of those transdim planets. And then at the beginning of the next round, you get it back. Well, that to me is like, hey, you just went through all 14 generations that happened on terraforming Mars in that one round. So we're talking about a much farther out view. And when you're, when you've got, um, you know, when you built ore on a planet, well, that's because it's a very, very early planet. It's like the moon today, right? If we're going to go and mine something on it, we wouldn't build up academies and, and, you know, like trade centers on the moon, but maybe we'd start by building up some industrial stuff that just pulls some, some materials out of the moon so that we could use those materials to then get to the next planet. But eventually enough population started to build up there. Oh, now we got to build a library and we're going to build a university so we can train these people that are doing that. So I kind of look at it as, again, as a very macro level, like at first this planet's a mining planet, but then eventually it turns into a trade center. More and more people are coming to it. And then eventually maybe it gets turned into you know, like, um, you know, an, an academy. So uh, just a little bit further out than um, terraforming Mars. That said, I mean, it's very, it's very much, a, a, you know, a kind of a cube pushing Euro that I think they do a pretty good job of tying the theme. It's just a little bit more, you know, abstract than terraforming Mars, where you have literally every action that the, you know, that the, that the, um, the terraformers or the civilizations are doing to the planet. So a little different there. That's, that's my take on it anyway. What's your guys' take on the the player interaction in this game versus something like uh, Terraforming Mars or Wingspan? What would you guys compare hmm. to that? I would say it's um, you know I, I would say it's not far off actually from something like Terraforming Mars, especially in this four player game that we just played. You know, most of your interaction in a game like Terraforming Mars comes from what you're doing on the planet, um, you know, what you're putting, the buildings that you're putting on the planet when you're getting in front of somebody else so that you can get points that they were going to grab. Most of the interaction happens there. Now in Terraforming Mars, you also have the option to sometimes, you know, throw an asteroid at something and take their plants away, but that's pretty minimal. It's not a major part of Terraforming Mars. So I feel like at least in a four player game, less so in a two player, that this, this has a similar level of interaction at Terraforming Mars. I mean, that's my take. Uh, what about what did you think, Adam? Do, do you would you agree with that? Or yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I agree. There is like the um, the interaction on the map. There is that central map that everybody's kind of interacting on and kind of fighting for spots. And there is like a little bit of a race to get the key planets, central planets, so that you know that you can get some leeching off of other people's buildings. So there is that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I do get a similar sense from Terraforming Mars. I guess I would say those. I do like that there is 
a little more interactivity than say something like Wingspan. Yeah, you know, when we were coming into tonight, I was actually thinking about Wingspan because I've played this game several times. Um, Steve and Chris had never played it before. Adam, you played it a couple, but I've only played it solo in two-player a few times. And so I was a little worried that sitting in a four-player game, it would end up feeling very solitaire. You know, that, that somebody would be sitting there spending a lot of time taking their turn, would have almost no interaction with anyone else. But actually, almost every action that happened on the board, or at least once per round, you had to stop and be like, wait, what did you just do? How did that impact me? You know, like, did you just build something where I need to get, I get some power generated from it? Or, oh, you just put that there. I was just about to build something there. Or I was just about to take that power, you know, special action. Or I was just about to move up that tech track and and take that technology first. So there was actually quite a bit of, a, a bit more interaction during this four player game than I was even expecting. And it felt nothing like our play of wingspan from a few weeks ago, you know, where, where everyone was just doing their thing on their board. Now I don't know anyone else who's ever compared Gaia, Gaia project to wingspan. Right. So it's probably not, <laughs> probably not a good comparison, but I think it's worth, because if you've listened to our last couple of conversations, we've specifically called that out as being more solitaire than we enjoy uh, as a group generally. So I think that I think this did a better job. Go ahead, Chris. Well, um, no, maybe great minds think alike because that's exactly the comparison I was thinking about too. Not not <laughs> not that this is just like wingspan, but I saw there was some parallels, and I could see how it would feel like that potentially. But I, I also agree, I think, with what Adam had said, which is that it really does. It is kind of in the middle. It's it's kind of in that terraforming Mars level where there's some interaction, but not a ton. But I'm thinking about it in the context of these last couple of game nights that we've had. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Parks and Wingspan, which are these very, you know, kind of, they're, they're relatively low player interaction kind of games. And last week, we do Cthulhu Wars, which is a straight up slugfest. And so this is somewhere in the middle, but, um, but it definitely, it, maybe that's one of the places where it feels a little bit like uh, terraforming Mars, not just in terms of the theme, but in terms of the, the degree to which you're interacting with each other. Maybe not quite as much as, as I would prefer, but but it, it's not it's not bad. Yeah, but right on. I'm developing a, a horrible analogy. So if Wingspan is like a classical symphony and you're sitting there in the audience just kind of minding your business and paying attention to the the gracefulness of the music, and then maybe Parks is at like a, some venue, you're having a couple drinks and uh, you're talking a little bit with the, the people next to some strangers. Hey, how you doing? I love where this then, is going. And then Cthulhu... Um, what Cthulhu, Cthulhu Wars? Cthulhu Wars, that, yeah. Cthulhu yeah. Wars is just a mosh pit. You're at a, <laughs> I knew you're at a metal. You were at a metal <laughs> I knew band. you were going to say mosh pit. I knew you were going to say mosh pit. So, I, and then I think Gaia Project is uh, again. You're at that. Um, it's not your metal band. It's maybe like it's not your punk band. So it's bringing it back down to maybe some sitting seats, maybe some standing seats, but no one's no one's getting crazy. It's maybe your older crowd, more refined. <laughs> Yeah, it's the flock. It's the flock of seagulls <laughs> of uh, of board games. There you go. Thanks for finishing that out. How do you how do you keep bringing, always bringing this back to wingspan, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> so we we spent a lot of time not really talking about any of the specific mechanisms here. So I do want to talk. I, there's a couple I want to call out that I really think are worth uh, mentioning. What number one is this game? So I think it was last week. I, I don't know. Sometime recently, I was talking about how. There are games where, you know, you want interaction, uh, even in a Euro, but you want to be able to, you, you want, the game should should have enough variety that it's not just about mastering the game. You know, it's not just about like, okay, I'm going to memorize the 15 best moves to get there, right? Um, and, and this goes against everything I said that time, because I said, you know, most of the Euros that I like are, are Euros that do have some kind of like card drawing, you know, card-based abilities, a lot of variability so that what you're drawing may have some tactical um, you know, benefits that you can try to exploit and try to take advantage in the certain situations. Now, Gaia Project doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have any variability during the game. Once the, the board is set out on the, uh, you know, it's full open information. Everybody knows exactly what you can do. But for some reason, it still feels like there's a lot of opportunity to for every game to be different. And I think that's because of all the setup variability that comes in this game. There's, you know, the technology tiles are placed in a different order every time. So depending on which technology you you choose, you go up a different knowledge track. The advanced technology tr- 
tiles, um, there's a there's a larger set of them that are not that don't show up in every game. So those can be different every game. So kind of the goals that you're pu- pushing up those knowledge tracks for change, the board can be randomly, um, you know, randomized, can be set up randomly so that, uh, you know, where the planets are and how close they are to each other and how close they are to Gaia projects can, can change. Um, the end round boosters, which I want to talk about as well, those change every game and there's they're the same ones aren't in every game. So every game still feels like a really unique puzzle. And there's also the player interaction that kind of gets in your way and stops you from just finishing the strategies you want to do. So I do like that even though it doesn't have some of the, you know, kind of the, the variability that might show up in the middle of a game, it still feels really different every game. Um, that, that, Go ahead. Why don't you guys jump in? Because I want to circle back to that for a second. Yeah, I was going to mention the, you didn't mention the, how many factions are there? Yeah, 14, 14 factions. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and they're all just, they're not super asymmetric, but there's just enough variability with each of the factions too that provide a nice little difference every time you play the game. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, and I, I think that's really cool in this game, the, the, the asymmetric powers um, is not enough to make you feel like you're playing a different game. Like even as much as like Cthulhu Wars, but especially not something like Root, where you know it's like you really have to learn a different game. But there, there, there are different enough where every time I've played, it did feel like I kind of had to refocus what I was going to do and think about the game in a different way. Because if I want to take advantage of what power my faction has, you 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 really have to pay attention to those. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on some opportunities. And that's where I draw another comparison to terraforming mars you have the however many different corporations starting corporations terraforming mars that give you a slight push towards a certain strategy whereas similarly in gaia project you have these different factions that give you a slight edge in one region or another of the game yeah that's right that's right um so another thing uh, that i want to circle back to i was talking about the variability and one of my favorite parts of the variability in this game is or one really cool mechanism that ties in are those round boosters and so uh i didn't mention this in the description of the game but basically the idea is that um at the beginning of the game starting in reverse player order you pick one of seven different i think it's seven different tiles that give you a bonus it might be some additional resources for that turn or it might be some end game scoring that happens and so, you know, each of you gets one that's completely unique and different. You can kind of use that for your strategy that game. But then at the end of the round, as a person passes, um, then they give up the tile that they had and they pick a different booster that's available to them. And they get the first player token. So they get a little bit of an advantage for passing because they're going to get the first player token and they're going to get the what they think is the best of the boosters that are left there. But then they've just put theirs back out in the pool. So then the next person now has another choice to choose from. And those boosters have a pretty good variety in what they do for you and what's available. So every time it's a fun choice, every, at the end of every round, it's a fun choice as far as like, Hey, I'm passing. Ooh, now what do I get? What's the big, you know, bonus I get for this round. So I really like that. I think, um, you know, this is, this is comparable to some other games in the way that, uh, you know, you're taking turns until you decide not to anymore, like terraforming Mars or like eclipse. Um, but I think the end round boosters in this game are the most fun bonus that you get for finishing that round that I've seen in any other games. Oh, the flip side of that is uh, that you're also at the mercy a little bit of what people have in their hands and they're willing to give up because uh, one of the last rounds, I ended up passing first and I was like, okay, here we go. I get the first player token and I get my first pick of the, and then there was garbage up there. And then the next round, Steve passed and he put the tile down that I really would have liked. So, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. No, well, that's great. I think it's actually fun because it's not just a crapshoot, but it's mm-hmm. also a little bit about like, do I want to hold out and slow roll so that I can wait till that next good bonus tile is up there? And I think, yeah. that's, you know, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, you're right. That's a nice aspect at, at four players. That was a lot better than the two player games we've had because right. you know what the other guy has. You don't really care. You're like, oh, do I want that one? No, I'll just pass and then grab this one. Whereas this one, you're kind of like, ooh, what can I do to eke out another turn Mm -hmm. here so i can maybe so maybe chris will pass and i can grab his in-round booster because that one's sweet so (laughs) that was a nice difference at four than two yeah 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 Yeah, another thing i'll I'll mention is the um end round uh bonuses or kind of the round bonuses i guess they're called because they're not end round but but randomly set up every game is uh it's six rounds and there's a different bonus that comes up for every round so basically during that round you're going to get point bonuses for doing some specific action and um and it changes every round and that's that's really neat. And I, I've talked about that with Wingspan. I talked about it with On the Origin of Species about how there can be just like a variety of different goals that can come up 
Um, and the, the Gaia project does the exact same thing. So cl that's clearly something that I really like. Um, but I think it's really neat in this game because the game is not a real high scoring game. I mean, you know, you can get up over a hundred points, but many of your points, especially in the first half of the game are just going to come from those round bonuses. And so you can really, you, you have to, to exploit them. Um, and I did a pretty good job of that today. It, you have to, you know, basically decide, Hey, I'm only going to focus on this thing. I'm going to give up some other opportunities just to get those bonuses, those bonus points this round. And by doing that, I managed to not have a very good late game, but my early game was really strong just because I did that right. I, I, I didn't do great at the end of the game with it. Um, but if you do that right and continue to make, you know, those smart choices throughout the game and kind of plan ahead, uh, you can, that can really change the game for you. So it, it really changes, you know, how you think of each round and how you're thinking each, each um, you know, each game is going to play a little different from that. Anything else, you guys? I got one more I want to talk about before we move on. Nothing for me. No, good. Okay, okay. Uh, last thing I want to mention is that uh, there are a lot of games like this. I love player mats where you've got things covered up on your player mat by by stuff that you're putting out there. In this case, you know, it's mostly the the structures that you're putting out, the the mines and and things like that. So basically, you know, the the player mat starts out where you've got. Um, a couple ore spaces revealed, and then you've got mines covering up all the other ore spaces. So if you spend an ore and two two credits to put a mine out on the on the map somewhere, then you've got another ore space revealed, and so it it builds up. It's a it's a it's an engine builder, right? Your your game just gets better over the course of the game. What this one does, kind of unique, or at least unique from games that I've played, similar, is that you have to make a trade off. So for, you can build the mine, and that's great. It's all all positive. But then you want to upgrade and you want to build a, um, a, you know, a trading station or whatever the next level is. Then you have to take the mine off the map, put it back on top of your player map, and then put the trading station out. And that's a really tough trade-off. It's it's like, man, yeah, I, I really want to build up more ore, but I also need credits. So now I'm going to put a trading station out, get credits, but that means I'm getting less ore this turn. And that that challenging decision happens. You know, it doesn't even end at the end of the game. You're still deciding, like, do I want to do I want to get build a, an academy so that I can get some knowledge? But then I've got to cover up this other thing, you know, and it, it's it's just such a fun, tough decision that that I don't I don't love having to make that decision. But it does it does create a really interesting puzzle. Yeah, it's like an engine builder and then a D builder. As it, <laughs> so it's, right. it's so painful. It's, it's <laughs> For me, it's just like ugh. this whole game is just kind of has that I, for me, I get this sense of. Dread, sorry if I'm flowing into the next topic here. I get that sense of I'm never going to be able to do enough. I'm never going to play optimally. I'm always like just too short and grasping and treading waters as the sense I get from this game. Yeah. Yeah, and isn't that just the the mark of any good resource management <laughs> game? I mean, you should never you should never feel like you have too many resources, right? Definitely, definitely a tight economy here. All right. Well, uh, there's there's a lot of other mechanisms here that we didn't really cover on, and, and there's a lot to talk about. But we, we're running out of time, so let's move on. Let's talk about a little bit the, about the production of the game. Um, I have a physical copy of the game, so I've seen the physical components. I think you guys have only played it on Tabletop Simulator. So, um, you know, the artwork, um, kind of what the components look like, are pretty much exactly the same in TTS. Um, so, just why don't we jump in with your thoughts, Chris? Do you want to start anything? Anything that stands out to you as far as the production? I'm actually curious about the physical version because I have not not played that. the uh, The buildings and the mines and the academies and whatnot. What are the, are those uh, plastic tokens? They or are. Those yeah, they're, they're actually they're plastic minis, and they're pretty nice little sculpts. Now they're not unique per faction, but because there are seven different colors of factions, they actually give you minis of all those different. Um, structures for mm -hmm. each color in the game. So you end up with, I don't know, there's probably 150 little minis in the game. They're, they're not unique like Eclipse. You know, you, you don't have mm -hmm. different sculpts per faction, but they're all pretty nice. The mines, you know, are the smaller buildings and then they move up and they look exactly like you, you saw them on Tabletop sim Simulator. So they're, they're Would you say nice. it's similar to Tapestry, kind of the minis? Um, no, I mean, Tapestry's got larger pre-painted minis. Uh, I guess, you know, like the little income That's, buildings. Those are the ones, probably, yeah, like the income buildings. And yeah, I, I'd say they're kind of comparable. You know, some of the bigger buildings are larger and um, and they, they have different details on them. But yeah, that's that's probably a pretty good comparison for what it's like. Yeah, so I mean, to my feelings on it, I mean, only having played the electronic version, 
I usually get a little bit scared when I see a game that's got a bunch of little tiny chits and markers and, you know, each player's got a big board and you got a million things you got to keep track of. I'm, 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 a, I'm a simple man and I like simple games. No, but I, this actually ended up being far more manageable than I, than I would have thought otherwise. It is a fairly fussy game. Uh, there's a lot of little pieces to manage. And if you're playing the electronic version, you got to do a lot of flying around the screen trying to see what's going on and to look at, you know, you have to look at the board with the, um, there's at least four boards you need to be paying attention to. You need to be paying attention to your own player mat. You need to be paying attention to the the, the space board, the, the shared board. You have to be paying attention to the, the board that shows the end of round goals. You also have to be paying attention to the board that shows the technology tracks and uh, which is also the board where you can spend your power to do certain things. So there's four different places you need to be looking at. So there's a whole lot going on there in a bunch of different places. Personally, I would have preferred that it be a little bit more consolidated. But, you know, once you got into it, it was it was fairly manageable, I thought. I'm with you, Chris. It's um, you, you said it all. The, to touch on another thing, maybe didn't touch on was the artwork for me. It had always been a slight turnoff just because it it doesn't have that. I don't know. It doesn't have a look and aesthetic that that I'm into. And I know artwork is very subjective, but for me, that was just, has been one kind of turn off that never quite put me over the hump to buying the game. And then Chris said it all. It's very sprawling. It's huge. There's minis over there's boards everywhere. There's chits here and there's chits there. Um, I don't know how long Tim set it up on TTS ahead of time. I don't know how long it took him to, to set it up. It was like 30 minutes, 30 minutes to get the whole thing set up. So a 30 minute setup on TTS, there is yeah. that scripted version. That's a little, fussy but this is the unscripted one so thanks for doing that by the way but there's a lot there's a lot going on <laughs> yeah um i i agree with you about the sprawling boards um i think one of the reasons they did that in this game is because they did create a modular board for the um planets which is fun you know it, it adds a lot of variety and it and they also it allows you to change it per player count so basically when you're playing less players you take out some of those you know those hex tiles or you flip some of them over to slightly less populated sides. So it does a good job, I think, of balancing for multiplayer, multiple players. And it allows for a lot of variety. So you're not always like, hey, I always want to start on this corner of the board and you know head in this direction. I think that's important. I, this game is um, it's based off of a, it's, it's basically a re-implementation of another game called Terra Mystica, which I've never played. But it was like a fantasy-themed version that is kind of like a version 1.0 of, of Gaia Project. So this was kind of the evolution on it. And I think one of the big complaints they got was that it was just one board. And, you know, basically once you kind of knew the strategy and the best starting area, then it was more about like, okay, who got first player spot and I'll just work the my standard openings. Exactly. exactly. And that, and you don't get that here. I mean, if you do the random mm-hmm. setup, basically you have to make some really fun decisions right at the beginning of the game about where your starting minds are going to be and which direction you want to head. And do you want to be next to people so you get the benefits or do you want to be away so you can build out federations, you know, without getting interrupted? Um, So that makes sense. And it's hard to do a modular board, I think, when it's built into all the other pieces. That being said, they didn't need two. I don't think they needed two boards. And I really don't like when games do that either, where they've got the one board for the technology tracks and one for the scoring and end round or for the, the end round and end game scoring bonuses. I'm not sure why they didn't just include those all in one game. On the other hand, there's a lot going on there. So it could have bought, it could have gotten pretty busy to be looking mm-hmm. at one area and try to, you know, really distinguish what all is doing on there. So, so I, I agree with that. Otherwise the, the, you know, the business doesn't bother me like it does you guys, but uh, they, they could have probably changed that a little bit. Yeah. I want to go back for a quick second to something Adam said about the art. And it's, it's funny because I, I hadn't even really thought about it until he said that, but just how much I find myself motivated by the art in a game. And there are games where it's an important factor in the game and there are games where it's less important, but yeah, obviously if something is beautiful, you want to look at it and it makes it more interesting. And this game has a lot of stuff going on, but you know, as Adam was saying that I'm thinking, but it doesn't have a lot to look at. There is the, the board is basically a, you know, it's open space with a bunch of little planets on it. And then your board is, it's got like a, one little guy on it. That's the, a representative of that alien race, but it doesn't have a lot going on graphically, which I mean, may or may not matter to you. If you're someone who doesn't care too much about the art, then that's not a big deal. But it, but if you do, it, it is a, a pretty spare game in that sense. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I would want any more artwork among all the other iconography and, and stuff going on anyway, but I can, that, you know, I can understand that. Now the artwork doesn't bother me personally. I, I don't like, a, I think I've mentioned this before. I don't mind occasionally a little bit of cartoony 
look, you know, and that's what these are. These are not like mm-hmm. realistic looking aliens by any means. They're kind of cartoony looking aliens. And I think they're fine. When you look at all the factions, they all look very deep, different and unique and they don't bother me at all. But I, I there, there's a chicken bird man. <laughs> that's and, right. You know, a lizard man. Back to wingspan once again. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's missing that I, I'm not an artist. So who am I to critique, but it's like it's missing like a polished professional edge or something. I don't know how to say it. This is, you know, it's not art that I would want to buy and put up on my wall as opposed to something like parks is mm-hmm. beautiful. When wingspan, you look at these birds, they're beautiful origin of species. It has a beautiful sketches. Yeah. 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 I can definitely see that. Now, one thing I do want to say is a big positive from an art direction and that's the graphic design. And from, from my perspective, I'm always really interested in user experience and like when I'm trying to teach this really complex game or play it or like, does it help me do that? And I think there's a couple, there's one complaint I have, but for the most part, I feel like it does it pretty well. Once you are taught the game and start to understand the iconography, you can basically, it totally guides you with everything you need to do all the way down to like kind of showing you what end game scoring benefits there are on the scoring track board, you know, where they kind of slip that in. But I feel like it does a pretty good job of, of presenting all that and your player boards are do a good job of representing, you know, where everything goes and, and what happens when you remove them and things like that. I totally, totally agree with that. The iconography is, is good. And once you, there's a bunch of it, but once you understand it, it's very clear cut about what's going on. Now, the one complaint um, that got that got brought up right away tonight when we were, I was, we were starting the game and Steve j- jumped in right away and I was kind of reminding him some of the the rules of the game and one of them was on the power the little power bowls that go around the background on those bowls are pink and the tokens that you use in them the power tokens are also pink now i haven't noticed that as bad of an issue in the in the you know real life production but it's very hard to use that in the tabletop simulator production because the colors match and because the just the um the the physics of using those little power tokens doesn't seem to work quite right like they keep disappearing and stacking when you don't want them to but even in the real life version i think i I can't understand why they would have made the decision to put something where you have to keep track of tokens the same color as the tokens themselves i i I think that was a a poor choice Um, other than that though user experience wise i think it worked pretty well I know uh, we're running late here. One last thing I'll mention about the um, production, because you guys haven't seen the physical version. For a Euro game, this has one of the better physical productions that I've seen. And it's not a, it's not an inexpensive game, but all of the cardboard is nice, thick cardboard. Um, you know, all of the tiles, like this, the bonus scoring tiles and the technology tiles <clears throat> are thick cardboard tiles. They're not little flimsy, you know, pieces of paper or anything like that. Like I said, they have plastic minis for most of the resources. Your resource tracking tokens are all plastic with different shapes and colors. Um, they even have some unique re- um, some unique components for a couple of the specific factions. Like the faction you played tonight, Adam, that had that big uh, power stone is a nice big like plastic pink stone looking thing. Um, and it's you made just for that one faction. So it's kind of nice. They put some extra details in there that really weren't necessary. The uh, satellite tokens are little um, are, are little little cube plastic cubes of every color. Uh, the components for, for me, the production, I would not really expect anything different in a in a Euro game. So quality wise, uh, the, the rule book is solid and everything like that. So I'm, I'm really happy with with this from a production perspective, owning the, the physical copy. And I would never you know tell someone not to get it because of that. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, so, what was your favorite moment of the game? I'll jump in with this one. There were a couple moments here where we had some really uh, fun interactions, especially in the last round, and I think that's where this really stands out here because there are there are some special actions you can take that settle along the bottom of the technology board, as well as some special actions. I guess they're all on the bottom of the technology, but some of them you take by spending power, and some of them you take by spending these QIC cubes, which is kind of a, re- a rare resource you can pick up in the game. But when you take it, you cover it up with a little thing so no one else can take it and that can only be used once per round. Now, most of this game, none of us were very good about optimizing our power usage. I think Chris did a good job and Adam was pretty successful with it. But um, there wasn't a whole lot of competition for most of the game getting to those spaces. But in the final round, there's only three spaces where you can spend QIC cubes. And it was a, a mad dash to get those done. And, and Adam, you know, like we talked about it right after the game finished, Adam thought it probably cost him the game because I managed to get to one of them before he did. And on the other hand, I was really hoping for the other one that he got right after that too, you know? So that, that was a, there's a tight competition there. And I think that's great in a game like this where you're building up, building up. 
And then you still have some exciting moments at the end where it's not just about building up anymore. Now it's like, okay, what do I do with all this stuff that I built up? So that was probably my favorite, most memorable one moment of the game tonight. Yeah, I agree, Tim, that we were necking. Well, you were way ahead going to that last round and I had a nice, um, my knowledge resource was pretty high with a little knowledge scoring for that final round too. So I was trying to capitalize on that. So I made a nice, some. that was my, you know, after being frustrated and treading water and not having enough this whole game, I finally felt like I broke through that last round and was able to use my resources and capitalize a little bit. Yeah, you were you were right at the back of the pack most of the game, and I had a pretty significant lead most of the game, especially going into that you know second the second to last round, I think, um, where I was probably almost fifty points up on you guys, you know, like almost doubled in score, and I still had a decent end round scoring and. Chris was even the one that got the most benefits from the end round scoring bonuses. So he got a good, he had a pretty good run at the end there too. The end but of Adam, game, you, the end of game yeah, scoring, the end game scoring. That's what I meant. Yeah. The end of game bonuses. But Adam, yeah, you, you just like jumped way up from somewhere around, I don't know, 55 points up to like 128 by the end of the, end the last round. That, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it was big. It's, it's, it's the first time I've ever done anything right in guy project, I think. So okay. <laughs> Or any game from what I can remember. Oh, <laughs> oh <man. laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, what about you, Chris? Any big, uh, any, any, any moments that stood out to you? What do, what do you, what do you think? Uh, any, anything that was memorable for you? Tonight? Yeah, I don't know if I can point to a specific moment, or at least I couldn't say that I, I, I could tell you exactly when that moment was. But you know, I think you alluded to before how you know there's different ways you can go about you know trying to build your engine and, and to win the game and get points. And for me, I really tried with my faction to get to the point where I'm able to cycle the, one of the, the big uh, mechanisms of the game is the, the power mechanism, which cycles, as Tim mentioned, through uh, a series of blocks. And you can only use them when they're in a certain block. My faction had the ability to use them in different situations than others could. And it was a little bit more flexible for my faction. So I felt like there was a point where I got a cycle going where I was I was rolling through them pretty fast and I was making things happen in a way that, you know, I would not have been able to do if I didn't have that engine set up, if I hadn't been using that faction. It wasn't enough to win me the game, but at least it was a moment or, or even get second in the game. <laughs> but, but, you know, there was a moment there where I felt like, okay, I got this. I think I've got, I'm making something happen here. And that, and that felt pretty good. Um, there was also the end round, which really was epic. I mean, people just, everybody was doing like 50 different things. It was all scoring big points. I mean, Tim was way ahead through the whole game, but up until it right until the end, it felt like it could have been anybody's game because there was a lot of stuff happening at the end. People were kind of bringing their, you know, the, 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 they were all coming home to roost and the points were coming out and it was pretty exciting at the end. Yeah. And I, I think that speaks a little bit to, to what, from my perspective, is a, is a, a strong quality in the game. And that is that, you, you know, a couple of you guys were brand new at the game, had this first play of it. And it is very complex, as we've all talked about. And there's a lot of different, you know, interlocking mechanisms that are happening. But Chris, you, you got a pretty good grasp on it, right? I mean, probably, you know, two or three rounds into the game, you've, were running on your own and had a just you know like you you had a plan and you were you're trying to exploit it and take advantage of it and I think it was something that complex the the ability to do that I think that speaks a little bit to the user exp- the user interface that they've built in there um, but also that the the mechanisms feel fairly intuitive to me so I think that the fact that you had that experience was pretty good on a first because it could have gone really bad I mean there there are big heavy games where you'll be taught the first game and you'll just be like, okay, I just finished. And now maybe I have an idea what I'm going to do next time. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool to feel, you know, feel like you got something done. Chris, I was very impressed. You and Steve both. I mean, when the first like five times I played this game, I was just, I had no idea what was going on. I feel like you got <laughs> it right away and, and, and crushing it pretty good there by the end of the game. You had a bunch of the, you got like, like Tim already said, you got all the in-game scoring swept that away pretty good. So nice job. Well, you guys, you guys taught us well. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Chris, uh, we'll stick with you for a second here. Um, would you request to play the game again after your first play? Man, that's what it all comes down to, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I'm torn on this one because on the one hand, I, I, there's a lot of mechanisms in here that I liked. And there was a lot of stuff about this game that I found entertaining. I found it engaging. But there was a couple places, in particular, the number of mechanisms, the number of things you had to keep track of that felt a little bit overwhelming to me. And by the end of the game, it was I was feeling very fatigued. 
And that may be because it was a five-hour game. It may be because it was the first time I played it. It may be because we were wrapping it up right around midnight. I mean, it could have been a bunch of things, but I definitely, um, I definitely felt like it could have, it could have been leaner. Um, having said that, it's it was my first game, I, so it's I don't know that I would ask to bring it back to the table, but if someone suggested it, I I think I I would certainly be willing to play it again, give it another try. I feel like it's probably got more, way more merit to it than I'm giving it credit for after one play. Uh, there was a lot of interesting things happening. Um, I'm not sure it would be my first choice to bring back. It wasn't, it wasn't like Eclipse where I got through that game the first time I played. And I was like, man, I, I want to get that one back on the table like tonight for a second game. So, um, but then again, it also wasn't uh, Origin of the Species where I was like, I could happily never, ever play that game again. Um, but so I had mixed feelings about it. I, I played again, not sure I'd ask for it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I want to speak to the fatigue you're talking about here because I think this is one of those games that does do that. I mean, there are a lot of decisions to make and there, it's not it's not that hard to understand what the decisions are, but but the choices, the timing when you make them, trying to kind of, you know, math out the resources you've got and what you can get done in that round and like what order you should do it. It it does wear on your brain a little bit. I I love this game. I'll jump in and say that I will absolutely request it again. I've been requesting this for months. Finally got it to the table with you guys and I'm really glad we did. I thought it was a great experience. Um but I, um, I've loved it since the first moment I played it. But, you know, this is a game where a few months ago I pulled it out. You know, we're in the pandemic, so we're not getting to game, especially in person, as much as we used to. So I have been solo gaming a bit. And this has a really excellent solo mode. It's, it's very competitive. It feels like you're playing against a real person. It's, it's great. But I pulled it out a few months ago, and I'm kind of getting a little bit more, like, exhausted, I think, over this whole thing. You know, like, I just don't have the energy after the end of work to sit down and I don't know what it is, but uh, maybe it's because I'm not getting that recharge of, you know, being around other people and then using this as a, as a brain break. But anyway, I sat down with this game one night and I was just exhausted by the end of it, you know, just a solo game, which only takes about an hour and a half. It runs pretty smoothly solo. And I put it away and I haven't really wanted to play it solo again. I mean, I think I will, you know, maybe when I have, again, some of that energy back and things are, maybe things are changed a little bit, but right now, it, it exhausted me for a solo game um, for a multiplayer uh, that energy kind of comes with the group and you know joking around with each other and and you know having having the experience as a group but but uh it is definitely exhausting i can ex- i can see where that comes from i do think it does lighten up a little bit as you get more plays into as the decisions get a little bit more obvious to grasp um, but chris i i'm proud you you did a great job of keeping things moving along even uh, even with a heavy game and a lot of complex decisions tonight. Thanks, Dad. Um, what <laughs> What about you, Adam? Would, would you Would you request Gaia Project again? I don't think it's something I would request to get, to give the short answer because I do with this group. You know, I'd, you could throw any game out there, and I'd be happy to play it. But I do get that fatigue that you get. You're looking near term. Your options, you have to think ahead. You know, one or two turns, but then you're also looking long term. What's your long term plan? So it's if you're into that kind of puzzle, which I don't know, I haven't been into that kind of puzzle for a while. I don't, I don't necessarily mind it, but gosh, it's, it's tough. It is fatiguing. And so that puzzle's there. And I used to think it's something I wanted. And now I'm just like, ha, ah, <laughs> I think I look for more of that kind of interaction and I would happily play it, of course, but it's not something I don't think I would request. I um j- just uh, to kind of wrap this conversation up. I just did. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Pub Meeple, but I think it's a podcast. But basically, they put out a cool little internet tool where you can import your BGG list of rated games or own games or whatever, and then it gives a little ranking engine. Basically, what it does is it it put it's kind of like a, a, a Tinder type thing, but basically, it puts two games up on the screen at the same time, and you click the one that you would rather play right now. And the idea being that it does match. So I put, I, I imported like all of my games that I've rated over seven on BGG and it ended up with like 86 games on there. And um, it was, then it's like, okay, then you're going to have to go through 343 different matches to get to basically how you rank your games, what you think are the best games. So it starts showing you matches of two different games against each other and kind of filtering down until it's now you've ranked almost every game against another game and, you know, how they all compare. And Gaia Project ended up, I think, number three on my list of games of all time for like when, when I was looking at these games and comparing it to other games of which one I would rather play, Gaia Project was way up there. So mm. not only would I like to play it again, um, I think that this is 
one of my favorite games. And I think it has the chance even to, to get higher if it continues to get played, but I could also see it sinking a little bit. If I still, if I continue to feel that like, Oh man, I'm going to go into this. and It's going to be so much work to get through it. So I'll be interested to see where, where that sticks for me after a little while, but right now I'm loving it. Um, all right. So uh, guys, thanks. That was a great discussion about Gaia project. Before we wrap up for this week, let's talk about if there's anything we're excited about in gaming this week. I want to jump in first here. Uh, when we when I came into the weekend, um, I really there was I was wondering what we were going to talk about today. I didn't really have anything in mind, um, but then a few pretty big kickstarters came out this week that got me a little excited. I'm going to talk about one of them tonight, and that is um, a couple years ago, a company called Pandasaurus put out a game called Dinosaur Island on Kickstarter. Okay, and Dinosaur Island looked. <laughs> cool to me like i saw it adam just gave a big thumbs down so i think cool. i want to i want to hear what he has to say about it in just a second but it looks really cool to me they were using this really fun like hot like you know like neon color 90s style look and it had the theme of like jurassic park and i was like that looks really neat but i checked out the kickstarter and i watched the playthroughs and i was just like man i i don't feel like there's enough i don't know interesting game decisions there for how much how many components there are and how much set it up it is so i ended up passing on it and I think generally after I've heard a lot of reviews over it over the last couple of years, I feel like I made the right decision there. I don't think it would be a good long-term fit for me. It's a game I'd still like to play at some point. I never have. Um, I, and I'll get back to your thought about Dinosaur Island. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because this week, Pandasaurus released a game called Dinosaur World. No, is that right? I saw that. Is it Dinosaur yeah, World? Dinosaur yeah, Dinosaur World. World. Yeah. And um, I looked at at that game and everything looks perfect to me. Like the graphic design they use, the art that they use. I think it's, I think it's Quanchai Moriai's art on it. I, I think it is. I could be wrong about that. Um, but it's just a, it's, the, I don't know, everything that, every single component in the game, I look at it and I'm like, that looks like a component I want to play with. And all the iconography that's on everything looks great. And I watched a little bit of the kind of the little, um, you know, play through, uh, kind of give the little short little clips that show you how the game plays. And it just looks awesome to me. I'm, I'm so excited to check it out a little bit further. Now, I haven't watched like a full playthrough. Or I don't think any um, how to play or playthrough videos are out there yet. So I will be keeping my eye out for those. And then they also said they're releasing it on Tabletopia pretty soon, which I would love to get a play in before the Kickstarter ends and just really get a sense for how the game plays. But to me, it looks like it's one of the more fun and interesting and exciting looking games that I've seen for a little while on Kickstarter. So I think there's a good chance I'll back it, especially if I have a chance to try it first. But um, I did want to ask you, Adam, because I know that you I've asked you before and you didn't seem to be a big fan of it. In fact, I think you just gave Dinosaur Island away to Chris. So uh, what 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 do you think about Dinosaur Island? What what didn't you like about it? Yeah, Chris is the proud new owner of Dinosaur Island. <laughs> All fifty pounds of it. Yeah, it's um. There's a lot there. There's a again. There's tons of components like you're saying, and it's all right. It's pleasant. There's a it's a worker placement, and the art is beautiful. That's that's one of the main attractors for me was watching Moria's artwork. So I played a few times, and it it wasn't bad. But for all the stuff and all the setup and all the put away. There's a lot of other stuff I'd rather play. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on Dinosaur Island. Right on. I mean, if we ever get together sometime up in, uh, you know, up in Portland, Chris, if you, you know, I would love to bust that out and, and give a shot at it, like just to experience. I like worker placement. I like some of the concepts they had on there. I just feel like it doesn't have a lot of staying power, like maybe a couple of games and you get kind of, mm. like, to me, it felt like the decisions would get a little tiresome. I don't get that from Dinosaur World. It feels like a very different game, different different play style and, and different mechanisms with the same mm. really cool Jurassic, you know, Jurassic Park theme to it. So. Yeah, I um I, I did not get a chance to look at that very deeply, but I did see it and it caught my my eye. So I it's one I'll have to go back and look at again. And I got the um, Dinosaur Island from uh, from Adam about three days before I moved out of Long Beach. So <laughs> I haven't had a chance to dig into that either. Um, but it's funny, you know, which is sort of the running theme of my life right now, is that everything that matters to me in this world is pretty much in a, a storage locker somewhere in Chatsworth, California. Well, you should have, you should have probably should have probably brought your family with you instead of leaving them in a storage locker, Chris. <laughs> well, I had to choose between family and games. <laughs> but the, uh, this week, actually, I got right after I left uh, Long Beach, my copy of Marvel United arrived at my old house. So there's some random dude who bought my house who now has my copy of Marvel United, which oh, I thought your neighbor was going to pick uh, it up. They, for you. they will. They'll they'll get it for okay. me. So the the guy is Gosh. like, yeah, I'll pass it along to your friend. Um, but it just means I'm not going to have it to play now. 
And it's just a is a badass looking game. I mean, I'm not a huge, huge co-op fan, but this one looks like a lot of fun. It's got a lot of cool characters. My first thought was the art was a little bit cartoony. I didn't love the, you know, the big bobblehead, you know, cartoony characters, but I love superheroes. And this one, I think it seems like a cool enough game that I'm willing to forgive the art on it, (laughs) the style of the art, at least. Uh, it does look cool, but um, I'm excited to try it. I just unfortunately probably won't be able to do that for another six months or so. But right now, you know, somebody else is holding my copy of the game I want to play, and man, Bad. that is a heartbreaker. <laughs> That's rough. I have uh, I have heard uh, I've heard some really good things about it. People are, seem to be liking the game a lot. Um, I was surprised though. It seems like it's got like a 20, 25 minute playtime, so mm. pretty short short playtime, which isn't necessarily bad, especially in a co op game. If you just want to knock out a fun little like mm-hmm. you know have a couple beers and and, and experience some um, you know cheering adventures, <laughs> maybe that's a maybe that'll be a good one to to pull out sometime. I think I read. Um, I think I read that. I don't know if it's one of the things you got in the Kickstarter, but I think there's also like a campaign. Uh, expansion for it. maybe it's the infinity gauntlet expansion yep. or something like that yeah but i got that too okay cool yeah i like the idea of that type of thing where you know maybe playing one or two 20 minute sessions of something that's fairly light isn't that exciting to me but once you turn it into a campaign where you know maybe you know your characters build up and the decisions you make in one point turn into um mm-hmm. you know changes to the story later on or well, i don't know how it works but I, typically that is more fun to me than just standalone, you know, shorter games. So I'd, I'd yeah. be interested in trying trying that out sometime. So do I someday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Adam. What about you? Anything uh, that's caught your eye this week? Um, just getting notifications. Kickstarters are starting to arrive that I ordered the last year and a half, two years. So I'm looking forward to that. Fossilis, Fossilis is one. It's um, Fossilis. Yeah, I, oh, I, Chris, I got that one coming too. Nice. I'm psyched about that. That one looks awesome. Play with my daughter. You're digging for little dinosaur fossils and trying to collect them and build up the, I don't know. It looks really fun and really kind of cool and, and cute, I guess. And it's got that dinosaur theme and digging around for bones. So that'll be fun. This game called Soul Givers. I noticed it today on Kickstarter. It's a little abstract. The components look Beautiful. I don't know much about the game, but the components look nice. It just looks sharp, has a nice, clean aesthetic, and it's a little abstract. Looks like it doesn't take too long to play. So I've been paying attention to that. I don't know if I'll back it or not, but it, it's, it looks unique. Um, so that's all I got going on. All right. All right. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, the Game of Gaia project tonight and hanging out. I think that'll wrap up this episode of Board Game Hot Takes. You can find us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes, and on BoardGameGeek.com under Guild 3804. Tell us what you thought of our takes on the game we played today. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, take care, everybody. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye.